Hey, this is Amanda, women's health dietitian. And I'm Emily, nutritional therapy practitioner. And this is the Are You Menstrual podcast, where we help you navigate the confusing world of women's hormones and teach you how to have healthy periods. Each week, we will be diving into a different topic on women's health and sharing our perspective using nutrition, female physiology, and metabolic health. Our goal is to help you wade through conflicting health information and empower you on your healing journey. We hope you enjoy it. In this episode, we are discussing an important topic that applies to all women that want to feel their best and thrive, and that's fertility. Fertility is often made a priority when we start thinking about having kids, but truthfully, optimizing your fertility means optimizing your hormones. And that's why I invited my friend Kiara here, who specializes in this in her nutrition practice, to chat about it. Kiara is a functional fertility nutritionist who works closely with women to teach and create sustainable lifestyle and nutrition habits to cultivate a body and life that supports healthy hormones. She has attended the Nutritional Therapy Association, Institute of Functional Nutrition, and the Root Cause Protocol Institute to further her education. Kira offers one-on-one services and an online course, Period Restoration, to help guide you through your fertility journey. And I feel like people don't quite, like they think fertility and they automatically think having kids immediately, but I feel like we're going to change the thought process on that today. Yeah, definitely lots of shifts in perspective. I'm excited. Thanks for being here. Let's start with your background and your own healing journey. What brought you to women's health, first of all? Because obviously that's like the main focus. But why are you specifically so passionate about supporting women with their fertility? Good question. I think just like every other practitioner in this space, we kind of fell into it. I never thought growing up that I would become a nutritionist. That was never truly a passion of mine. Although like in retrospect, I've always been into health and wellness like in high school, but I feel like it was for all the wrong reasons, you know, like diet culture and needing to lose weight and tracking calories and all those things. And just feeling restricted with my food, thinking that if I ate a certain food, I would gain weight. And that led to a lot of self-esteem issues. But still, I never thought that this would be my career. It wasn't until I graduated college. And in college, I had a lot of digestive issues, but I didn't think anything of them because everyone I asked said that they had them too, and they were no big deal and that it was normal. Then all of a sudden, I just couldn't go on with my days anymore. Like It was just so bad. I was seeing doctor after doctor almost went to Johns Hopkins, which is like a research hospital, (laughs) because I was like, something is seriously wrong with me and no one can tell me anything. All my endoscopies were coming back normal, with the exception of maybe like too much stomach acid. And I just never found relief through the anti-spasmatic drugs that they gave me or antidepressants even and being diagnosed with IBS. It really all started with digestion. Why? I don't know. There's so much that goes into it. I feel like there's a lot of emotions that go into it, the health of my parents that go into it. I'm so excited to talk about fertility. That led me to explore my own healing. How did I get here? How do I heal things? Because I'm just so frustrated with like being handed a prescription medication or a supplement that doesn't work. And I've made all these diet changes. So then I was just on Instagram, thankfully, a fellow NTP was talking about her career with the Nutritional Therapy Association. And I was like, oh my God, this is it. This is awesome. And I'm going to go for it. And that's when I started talking about gut health and hormone health 
for women because those were my main struggles. Recently, I made the connection with my healing. When I first started dabbling into things, I went down rabbit holes of information and really started to understand that my own health issues didn't just happen overnight. It wasn't just because I had a bad meal or anything like that. It really went further than that. And it all went back to my birth and before that as well. That is what led me to pursue more of a fertility focus. Even though we know gut health and hormone health are a part of the fertility journey. And I think that's where a lot of misconceptions lie. There's there's a disconnect there. So I just want to bridge that gap. And I don't know, it's on my heart. It's like my passion to help women conceive and, you know, start creating their families. And not only that, but also have a healthy pregnancy and a healthy postpartum recovery and healthy babies. So that is kind of how I got into this space. That's really cool. I had no idea that that you almost went to Johns Hopkins and you're getting all these like endoscopies. How was your period? I imagine not great. Yeah. I mean, I was like kind of aware of my period for the sake of like, oh, I have an event this day. Like when is my period coming kind of thing just to avoid having it if I could. There were months I remember where I was like 16 days late or if it was super heavy and cloudy and or was it like it was always super heavy on the first day and cloudy and then the next like two or three days it was always like barely anything so I was like is this normal but I also was like proud to say that like I don't have long periods and they're not as bad as everyone else's are but I know I know they were not healthy just looking back at them. Yeah. Whenever the gut issues are that exacerbated, I feel like the periods are usually pretty rough. Oh, yeah. As nutritional therapists, we we never attack hormones first. We always work in a north to south process. And part of that is like the gut, looking at the gut and not tackling um, constipation, but really working from the top down. So like, how are we digesting our food? What food are we taking in? Is there enough stomach acid? As I mentioned earlier, my GI doctor told me I had too much stomach acid and wanted to put me on PPIs, proton pump inhibitors. And that was like my second time going on them. And I went on them because you're just so desperate for relief. But intuitively, I knew that this was not the course of action that I needed to take. So I just stopped them on my own. I was like, this is not going to serve me. But yeah, any woman who is struggling with like endometriosis, PCOS, hypothalamic amenorrhea, any period issue can really probably use some gut support. And I see a lot of women, I'm not sure if this has happened with you, Amanda, but they'll come to me with period problems. And I'm like, okay, well, how's your digestion? And they're like, oh, it's fine. I feel like a lot of women who are entering this space um, may not have the body awareness that they could have by the end of like our time together, because usually they're not having one to three bowel movements daily that are smooth and come with ease and there are no foul odors and no one really knows like what optimal digestion feels like. Are there any malabsorption issues? And then, you know, we look to leaky gut and then improper elimination of toxins, estrogens being one of them. And it's just, it's a whole circle. So I never tackle hormones alone. Like one of the tests that I run in practice is a Dutch test and I would never like just run a Dutch test by itself. I feel like that is telling us what is going on or at least a piece of the puzzle, but it doesn't really give us the how. So then that's when we look to 
really optimize those foundations so that the consequences like hormone health can really fall into place. I know I always try to explain hormones as like they're the last stop in the train. So if we work on them first, like I honestly don't test them immediately with the majority of my clients unless someone is very nerdy and data driven and they want to see a before and after because I'm like, this is an expensive test and it's going to change. Like there's no way that it's not going to change. I also think so many people don't know, like, like when someone asks, like, how's your digestion? Most people don't know what you mean. Like, they're like, do I poop? Like, like, you know, like that's kind of all they're really thinking about. Cause I've had someone ask me that when I said, I think it was saying something in Instagram post about healthy digestion. They're like, well, what does that mean? Like I have bowel movements, but I don't know if they're healthy. So I think that's a really good point of like the frequency, but also like, are they easy? All that kind of stuff. And it definitely relates back to that fertility piece. When it comes to fertility, why do you think so many women struggle with this today? I see a lot of women have a hard time conceiving, even if they might feel like they're like, I feel like I'm doing everything right, but it's still not happening. There's this quote and I can't remember where I read it, but it's like a baby is not going to be made if stress is in the room. And I think there are a lot of preconception protocols, and I think it's awesome and wonderful, and we can talk about the trimester in a little bit. But if we are doing all the quote-unquote right things, um, then I think we got to take a step back and really look at what else is going on, what's um, like internally or externally, like what stressors are we facing or have we faced? And, you know, how long have we been trying for and have we made the connection with like what our past history looked like? Like, did we have a a past history of like not eating enough food? Um, What did our periods look like just like a year ago or maybe not even a year ago? Um, So I find that there's a lot of because we want a baby. And if we're on that journey, we're ready for a baby now. Um, we're kind of just like really excited to get that journey started. And if we don't have a baby, like within the first time of trying, it can be, I don't know. I feel like, I I mean, I haven't tried for a baby yet, but I would think that would be kind of discouraging, especially if you've been working on your health for quite some time. But I really think something I I focus so much on my practice in my practice is emotional health. Um, and the way people respond to things and really looking at the nervous system and like how you respond to daily stress in your life or like what is your pattern as a a human and like how are you taking criticism and like all those things that really we don't really think about too much. But if we have that poor nervous system response, then I would think that your HPA axis is a little off. And that can definitely impair your ability to conceive. Um, But that does not mean you're broken. I love what Morley Robbins um, would tell us in class, like, you are not broken. You are not broken. It's such a gentle reminder when you feel like your body is just not working the way it's supposed to. And I think as women, like, our body is physically designed to create life. And when it's not doing that, we're like, I don't know, I feel like our immediate thought process is to think that something's wrong and we're broken and how do I fix it? And I think that's just your body or your mind trying to protect itself. Really taking a step back and saying like, okay, what do I really need to look at? Maybe there's something that I haven't looked at yet. So yeah, that's what I would say when it comes to fertility and and talking about the trimester. There's so much more involved than just like food, labs, and supplements. There's a whole like chemical component involved as well, as I'm sure you've spoken about with your clients. Like there's so many chemicals in today's world. It's insane. I personally think stress is just like destroying everyone's health. And it's not always a stress. It's 
how you respond to it. You know, like just exactly how you were talking about your nervous system. Even when you said like how you take criticism, I'm like, oh, that is such a good question for people because it does show you, you know, how are you handling that outside stressor? You know, can you deal with it? And I, I think sometimes we're just so like, we're always on our phones all day long. We're always plugged in. We don't spend enough time outside. I just can't believe how many of my clients that don't have their own business. Cause when you have your own business, you're going to be working a lot, especially in the beginning, you're going to have seasons that are busier than others. I just had no idea that people with regular jobs worked so much. I was like, wait a minute, like, where's the benefit? You know, like, and I know I have like a very, obviously like, I feel like you have to be a certain kind of person to be an entrepreneur, but, um, I just remember being like shocked and I'm like, okay, well, this is not healthy. And, we can't always combat that. You can't always change your job, but it's like, then where are you going to look in other areas of your life? You know, like what are your habits around your phone? What are your habits around sleep? Do you get outside? And it's, it's almost annoying how big of a piece stress is, but I just feel like the world that we live in now is more stressful. Mm. Oh my God. You said it. I am so glad that you brought that up because I do speak to women where they're like so stressed out with their jobs. They don't like their jobs. And then on top of that, they have so many stressors within maybe their relationship or friendships. Maybe they're lacking community and they're just, yeah, plugged in all the time. And they can't remember the last time they spent like a day outside. And it's like, well, dang. I mean, no wonder like your body is just, it doesn't feel safe because never in our human existence have we been this chronically stressed out, whether our, like our minds know it or not, our bodies know it and feel it. So I, I don't know, I hate to say it, but my, my whole thing with my healing journey was I was working a job that I hated. I don't know what your story is, but I was working a job nine to five, like just straight out of college, thought that that was what I had to do. Like I said, I never thought I would be here (laughs) working as an entrepreneur. I never, ever thought that. I actually quit my job because I was so sick and I I hated it. So I was like, I'm going to make this work. I bought a house. I furnished a house. I enrolled in the Nutritional Therapy Association. I just never looked back and I I somehow just made it happen. So I think when someone is on their healing journey, I, I really do think it takes that deep introspection and looking at your life, like, is this life serving me? It's, it's not only the the women either involved, it's the men too. And a lot of men are having to put, you know, maybe money on the table or just like working crazy hours. And then, you know, they're trying to cultivate male friendships or whatever the case, like they're stressed out too. They're, and they're working like, I know men who are working like 80 hour weeks And I think it's both of the partners involved that really need to look at their lifestyles because it's not just women either. That is such a good point. I think you did a post on male fertility, right? Because it's like, it's not just, I think that's the other piece of that fertility question. Like, why do so many women struggle with fertility? I think we could even switch that to like couples. Why do people struggle to conceive basically? And I think that men are a huge piece of that puzzle. Yeah. And it's basically just the burden is kind of placed on women or that's what the the norm is. But I, I hope we're having conversations now where it's like, no, we both need to be in this together. One, you have like support within your relationship. You're not alone. And two, you're tackling it from both angles gently, like just looking at both nutrition, uh, lifestyles for everyone. And 
I think that creates a good foundation too to bring a baby into the equation as well so that there's more of like an equilibrium, if you will. You know, it's something that you might not necessarily think about. It's like, well, you know, what kind of environment are you creating for yourself? And I always, I forget like who said this quote, but it's like, you can't heal in the same environment that made you sick. So when you said that you quit your job, I was like, of course. And I'm sure that kind of like really spurred that entire healing journey because it it finally allowed you to change that environment. Oh yeah. And it was scary. And I think that's why a lot of people don't take that leap because they're so scared. And some of, some people are like way further into their careers. Like they have 401ks and all the things like I was really just getting started. So maybe that's what made it a little bit easier, but nonetheless, like I still had no idea what my future was going to look like. I felt like everything was up in the air, but I just knew with my entire heart, my entire being a full body. Yes. To, to know more of like the nine to five waking up at like 5am so that I could have three hours to myself. Cause I still was very much into self-care, but that was like working out fasted, barely eating breakfast and just not working with my circadian rhythm, which is another stressor that we need to look at as well in someone's fertility journey. So what ended up happening to me when I started working with a functional medicine practitioner, we did a Dutch test along with like a GI map and some other tests. There was zero progesterone, like I'm talking zero. (laughs) And I mean, maybe I ovulated later on, but it did not feel like I was ovulating at all. Like at that time in my life, I was just chronically low with DHEA, progesterone, testosterone, everything. I was just like... I was, I almost felt dead. My heart rate was like in the fifties. I think it was just, it was just overall pretty bad. And were you having a regular cycle, but you weren't ovulating? I was having a period, but it was kind of that light flow. I, my cramps were so bad. I remember just like crying on the floor one time, just being in so much pain from my cramps. So yeah, but I was still bleeding and I wasn't on birth control. So, and I think that That's why like tracking your fertile signs and your body temperature and stuff is so helpful to know, like, am I actually ovulating? And that's kind of like the next big piece of this is stress obviously impacts ovulation. So I I definitely want you to talk about like how does stress impact ovulation, but even just ovulation in general, like that's truly what women need in order to be fertile and to have healthy hormones. That's such an easy piece to overlook because no one wants to look at their stress. They're like, yeah, I know I'm stressed, but tell me what to do. (laughs) So as far as the types of stress go, like I'll just start like with food. Of course, like you have to be eating a healthy diet and like what – What does that mean? (laughs) Because it's so nuanced these days, especially the world that we're in. But I really like to incorporate foods that are nutrient rich. And we know that that really lies in like our liver and oysters and bone broths and eggs and things like that. I think that we have to really shift that conversation because when I've had so many calls with women on like discovery calls and they're like, I'm eating salads and I'm eating, I'm like drinking all the green juices and stuff. And I don't know what I'm doing wrong. And not that those foods are bad. We really have to look at like the state of their guts and usually their digestion is so wonky and so bad and they're eating a lot of like roughage, all these foods that are really rich in cellulose that their body can't digest. And so that leaves them even more bloated and stuff. And really, I mean, they do contain nutrients, but we also have to talk about bioavailability of those nutrients as well. One thing I really like to drink, and I think you make it too, is like a mineral broth, like leafy greens and all those things. So it really takes like the minerals extracted from those greens, which we know that are important. I think when we look at food and incorporating like a, a fertility diet, um, 
really easy to digest foods to begin with, um, but that could look different for everyone. And then from there, we take blood sugar into the equation because blood sugar stress is huge. If we are waking up and having a big breakfast that is not balanced with like the carb to protein ratio and we're eating like a lot of carbs in the morning and barely any protein, which you and I both know, like so many women are <laughs> under eating protein. It's crazy. And if they are eating protein, maybe it's like not the right kind of protein. Again, going back to bioavailability, that is 100% what I see in my practice. Like so many women under eating protein. I kind of have a different story with that. I don't know if yours is similar, but I used to track macros like big time in college if it fits your macros. And so I was like really big into the protein. So I've always been kind of aware of my protein intake. That plays a huge factor into blood sugar stress. And if we don't have that under control, that can lead to a lot of anxiety, mood swings, inability to respond to stress, like emotional stress stressors, that is something that we definitely need to take into the equation. And that can be done as simply as like maybe eating more frequently, incorporating the right meals and snacks and things like that. And then some women might even need to maybe monitor their blood sugar if they are responding poorly to foods. And then not eating enough, like I said, with protein, but a lot of women are eating like five-year-olds. Um, like 1200 calories, 900. It's scary. I've, I don't know if you've seen this like on Instagram or Pinterest or TikTok, but a lot of women are eating like grapes for breakfast after they work out. And I'm like, I have not seen that. That would probably give me heart palpitations. I can't believe this is a thing. I I feel like I'm in my bubble sometimes where I'm like, I'm talking about blood sugar and like all the women that follow me are like listening maybe. But there are a lot of people who are still like in that realm of like, I don't, I don't even know what to call it, but just eat, not eating enough. And then they might feel good because of stress hormones right then and there. But really years later, they might start to see some of the ramifications of eating that way, not eating enough, trickling in. I think women, for example, if they're struggling with um, hypothalamic amenorrhea, they need to increase their calorie intake. That's usually because they're not eating enough food and going upwards of like the 2,500 calorie range, getting maybe like 200 grams of carbohydrates in, they might start to notice they're gaining weight. And maybe a lot of women who were under eating Maybe they did have uh, a background with disordered eating, and that can be really tough and difficult, which is going to bring up a lot of body image concerns and things like that. So I would 100% like seek support if someone is going through that currently, whether that's working with a practitioner, finding a group, working with a therapist or something, and just navigating that whole thing because it can be incredibly isolating like go through it going through it by yourself all of that pertains to food stress and so all of that is going to impair your your hormones from like actually signaling the pituitary gland to actually have a cycle so your body is kind of like not receiving the energy that it needs to function optimally and therefore you're going to see a lot of ramifications with your cycle and your fertility And I feel like long-term it impacts thyroid health, which is, it is like the amount, thyroid's a huge part of my journey. And especially like lately leading up to like 
conception and trying for a baby and everything. And I'll definitely like do a whole podcast on that eventually. The inadequacy of thyroid testing of so many women struggling with suboptimal subclinical hypothyroidism. You know, you can't technically get a diagnose because you're not out of the range, but it's still not great. So, but we're just going to tell you it's normal. And I can't tell you it's, I mean, I think that's a huge reason we tried to conceive like a year ago and it didn't happen. We only gave it three months, but it was, I was like, we're too stressed out right now. Like, this is not a good idea. You know, we just were sick of waiting. You know, we'd been together for like 12 years. I'm like, I just want to have your babies. This, you know, I don't want to wait. And it didn't work out. And I I think a lot of it was stress, but I think a lot of it was thyroid health. And I just, it, it was difficult getting the right support and kind of figuring out all the puzzle pieces there, even just like medication and understanding like how thyroid medication impacts iodine levels. And if you don't have great iodine, you take thyroid meds, like it's probably not going to turn out well. Like it definitely didn't for me. And that really delayed that whole conception phase for us. But all that, I mean, I have definitely under eight, like for a very long time. And I was an athlete and I also track macros, um, just like you. And I taught a lot of people how to do it as well, which I don't think is bad. I don't, I think honestly, for me, it, probably made me eat a lot more than I would have eaten if I were not tracking. Um, but it's, it definitely shows up later on. And I think it's really hard for women to see that because they're like, but I'm doing good now, you know, like I'm doing everything right now. And it's like, but what have you done for your, to your body for the last 10 years? Yeah. You don't make that connection unless you are working with someone or maybe you stumbled across something like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Like I may have done the wrong things for my body, but I did the best with what I knew at the time. Exactly. And there's that component as well. Like forgiving yourself for believing things and you know, going full force with them. You just, you did what you thought was best. Macro counting, I think truly saved me. Although I was not focusing like on the right foods at all whatsoever. I was like a carb's a carb. So it's fine. I'm going to have like Skittles with like my steak or something. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was so bad. I think once we make that connection, everything will start to fall into place and your body will feel safe again because that is the entire goal to make your body feel safe again, to make your body feel nourished. Um, but also not forcing your body to do anything because I think, um, we're in such a rush to heal when this healing journey is like forever long. Um, especially when it comes to like healing your thyroid, I think stress (laughs) going back to stress, like it plays such a huge role, but then also making sure that you're just eating metabolically and then living in a way that's metabolically supportive too. There are so many nutrients that we need to pay attention to with thyroid health, like retinol. Vitamin A is the true, I don't know, like it's just, it's such a powerful vitamin that I, I've never really paid attention to until the root cause protocol. I was like, wow, we all need more vitamin A. And I was actually working with someone who had like the most perfect retinol I've ever seen. And lo and behold, her diet up until this day, like growing up, she ate liver every single week, a grown, like as a child. I didn't have that lifestyle growing up. <laughs> I didn't no. eat liver. But now it's like a, a, a weekly thing where I make sure I have my liver. I make sure I have my cod liver oil. But, you know, all those things that we 
we accumulate all those tools like over time. So we're not, you see, we're not going to heal in three months. We're not yeah. maybe going to heal in six months. I think along the way, you'll start to see improvements and start to notice symptoms gradually improving, but it's not going to be this quick fix like we're accustomed to. And I think that's the hardest part of the healing journey. And whether you're going for fertility to conceive or fertility just so that you feel your best, it can be challenging because your body's, it's constantly compensating and it's going to respond to things. And, you know, as you start to bring it more into balance, other things might go out of whack for a little bit and, but then they'll come back. So it, but it's hard to accept that because you're kind of like, am I doing something wrong? Um, But it's like, no, your body's just been through a lot. Yeah. It's never linear as much as we want it to be. Like with everything in life, things happen, shit happens. And then there's also like symptoms that might worsen like throughout the, the whole healing journey, like the healing crisis. So that's why guidance and support can be really helpful as well. Hey, Amanda here, just giving you a quick break, hopefully a a break for your brain in the middle of this podcast episode to remind you that if you haven't gone through our free training, Optimizing Hormone Health Through Mineral Balance, we really do recommend starting there. And the main reason for that is because you're going to hear us say things like mineral foundation, having a solid foundation, are you putting the foundations in place? Especially what was we get deeper and deeper into different hormonal topics and specific imbalances in the body, the, the mineral foundation it's always going to be so essential. So if you haven't watched the free training, you can find it in our show notes or you can go to hormonehealingrd.com and it's going to be right on that front page there. But we really recommend starting there so that you can understand how is your current mineral status? How do you assess this and how to get started with all that just so you can get as much as you possibly can out of the rest of the podcast episodes. But that's it. I hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. So one of the other big stressors I think that can come up that I feel like people are a lot more aware of now are the toxins in our environment. How do the toxins that we surround ourselves with on a regular basis, and we're never going to get rid of all of them, I think to think that way is crazy, but how does that impact your hormones and specifically your fertility? Women on average use like 12 products daily on their body, their skin, their hair. Men use about eight. And I think in the products that women use, there's like 128 chemicals that are in those products. And then with men, it's like 60 something. So basically like cut in half, but still a lot of exposure. Our skin is our largest organ. And we kind of miss that. At least when I was like trying to figure that out, I thought like our brain or something was like our largest organ, but it or the liver. Yeah. It's the skin. So just as um, quickly as we can, maybe, maybe not quickly, but like we can excrete toxins through our skin, like sweat. Um, and if you look at like nicotine patches, like they work through the skin topically, topical magnesium. So we can rapidly absorb things through our skin. And if we're slathering Bath and Body Works lotions and perfumes and, you know, all the things, hairsprays and makeup products, like it's not just one thing. It's, you know, I think I hear that a lot. Oh, it's just, it's just lipstick. It's just I, I, like mascara and it can just be one, that one thing. And really looking at the biological tax, like what does the rest of my life look like? For example, there was a time period when I like was non-toxic, everything in my life, but I still decided that I wanted to get my hair done like once a year. So I was like, okay, that's fine because everything in my, 
else in my life was clean. The pans I used were clean. The household products that I used were clean. There is some wiggle room for some women, but I think the frequency of that matters too. Like if you're getting your hair done like every eight weeks, 12 weeks, you know, just making sure that everything else in your life is pretty clean. So what happens is with these chemicals, they work as um, endocrine disruptors. So they have a strong signal and kind of take over our own hormones that can lead to a lot of like estrogen dominance. So xenoestrogens in our environment, um, and then also taking into account phytoestrogens from our food. Um, So a lot of women with these fertility issues or hormone imbalances are usually I don't want to say estrogen dominant, but I mean, they can be estrogen dominant, that's for sure. But there could also be a ratio of like really low progesterone to estrogen. Like in my case, I had zero progesterone, but my estrogen actually seemed to be okay. Um, And it was metabolizing well and everything, but it was just like the lack of progesterone. But I also knew that my liver was highly overburdened. So they called it like really congested and they tried to put me on a bunch of like detox protocols and everything. But like I was not eating enough protein at that time. I was not paying attention to what I was putting on my body, things like that. Um, And we're just being bombarded, whether that's through, um, like I said, makeup, hair, skin, menstrual products, um, glyphosate, things like that. And it all accumulates. And the liver that's responsible for like 500 other things in the body too, is having to take on that burden and having to try to keep your body safe and detox those foreign invaders, those chemicals that are not serving it. And um, that's a lot of work on the liver. So I think that the liver plays a huge role in fertility as well. It plays a huge role in blood sugar balance. If it's trying to detox all these things and can it really like do its other jobs optimally? I don't know. Um, So yeah, I think there are multiple factors in which uh, chemicals in our environment can impact fertility, but I think it's just like the overburden of them that accumulates and can pile up in our liver and make it hard for it to detox properly. I look at stress as it's definitely cumulative, very similar to like toxins. You know, like you mentioned, like there's what's the biological tax or as I look at it like that, like the rain barrel effect there's a, it's a great book. And it's basically like every product that you're using is going to like either fill up that rain bucket or not. Um, everything in your environment, your water, all that kind of stuff, is it filling up the bucket or not? And so when people, I know it can be like really overwhelming at first to want to make swaps and stuff and replace products, but it's like even doing one a month would mean 12 a year, which would mean a lot of that rain barrel not even being filled up. You know, if anything, it's being emptied out. So I know people are always like, I, we did a whole liver episode. People are like, well, so how do I detox my liver? And I'm like, you, your liver knows how to detox. It will do its job if we remove some of the burden and also give it the tools that it needs to actually function well. And if I I think that I actually saw you share Danielle's stuff from Balance Bod. Yes, I am a huge fan. And yeah, she told me that you are a part of it too, part, part of the Balance Bod team. Yeah, she's really cool. Danielle's great. I have mentioned her in Balance Bod on the podcast before, but I just want to reiterate, basically she takes like all her favorite safer products and she has specific standards that she follows and then puts them on a website where you can purchase them all in one place. And I love this because I'm one of those people that like 
I like to get things from the same place if I can. And I was like, oh God, that's such a good idea, Danielle. Like that's genius. Cause that was a huge struggle for her when she was going through her PCOS journey was like that making the swaps, that piece and like finding products, testing them. And then, you know, you have a whole cabinet of things that you're never going to use because you ended up not liking them. Kind of what the whole balance bod theme is, is like trusted products that are actually non-toxic. She's teaching a class in my membership soon this week, actually. And just like what to look for, because it's so confusing. I mean, because her focus is like low, no PUFA and like on top of that being non-toxic. When I kind of stepped into this whole metabolism sphere, I never even thought to think of like the PUFAs that were going on to our skin. And but it makes so much sense, like being exposed to light, heat, and oxygen. And I love the idea. I have been loving her. She has a I can't remember the brand, but it's like a blood orange grapefruit lip balm. Yes, I don't remember the brand either, which is probably terrible, but I have the same one. So let's talk about the primester. Let's get into that, this like preconception phase. Cause at first I was like, I don't think I know what the primester is. I just just always call it preconception. So preconception, primester, it's just the trimester before the first trimester technically. But I think that can be more than like three months. <laughs> it should be more than three months. So it's the phase where you're preparing your body for pregnancy. And I think the most mainstream advice is to immediately get on a prenatal um, for the three months before you are trying to conceive, like before you even have a baby inside of you. I think that anyone's primester preconception phase could be anywhere from like a year to maybe five years long. I consider the phase in my life that I'm in my primester, my preconception phase when I have no plans to have a baby anytime soon. I'm not even married. Um, So I think the longer we have solid foundations in place, like you really can't go wrong. Like what's the harm? What's the harm in doing that? I think it just gets you Uh, maybe a little bit ahead or just started on living the lifestyle that you have always wanted and and healthy and all the things. And I think that women who are maybe coming from a vegan background or maybe have had years and years on birth control of some sort could use maybe a little bit more time. You're looking at so many things with your thyroid, your microbiome. You're looking at iron status and metabolism in the body because we know that our hormone imprint and iron downloads to baby when they're born. So I think this is probably like the best gift that we could give our children and just having like a solid foundation and equipping them with all the right um, environment so that they don't have to struggle with those things. Because I struggled not only after I graduated college, but I had had extreme like acid reflux and heartburn when I was in middle school. I know kids that are having like food sensitivities when they're in elementary school and like all those things. Like a lot of that, I don't want to say all of it can be avoided. Like I don't know that answer, but I know a lot of it can be mitigated as much as possible through making those healthier choices. But like, as you said, Amanda, not swapping everything, um, with chemicals at least in one night, but like once you finish out one bottle of foundation, maybe getting a healthier choice the next time. And then same goes for your blush next time around and lotions and so on and so forth. Yeah. I think that's why the sooner you get started, the better if that's possible. But if not, just doing the best you can. I, I like I know some people like wanted to get pregnant like yesterday, but this is why I also offer hair testing and the full Monty and the Dutch in my private practice so that we can kind of really look at like where everything lies. I do think that 
if someone is on a preconception journey, labs can't hurt, but also keeping in mind that they're not the end all be all to everything. Labs can be helpful, but they're just, it's just information. It's just data. It's not diagnosing you with anything. The primester is important parts of a fertility journey. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's everyone, I often will get asked like, how long should you prepare? I'm like, it really depends on the person. I love that you brought up, like, if you have a vegan background, it might take a little longer, you know, to like get your nutrient stores in a good place so that you can conceive and carry out that pregnancy and hormones and everything, like all that stuff's going to be impacted. I think like for most people, it's like at least a year, you know, of like trying to, and even just understanding your body that, cause a part of that could also be like, really learning your cycle. Maybe you've never used fertility awareness method, you know, and you're just so like, that's going to take time and take practice. Yeah, that's so true. I didn't even think about that. But like cultivating a relationship with yourself for maybe like the first time ever, um, increasing that level of body awareness so that you feel empowered with your health, not like stressing about every little thing and every little symptom, because I also believe that symptoms don't have to mean that there is a sign of illness. It could just mean that there's redirection that needs to happen. I know that's the case with me. Like I I don't have any illness, but whenever things get wonky, like maybe I uh, have like a stressful period or something um, of my life and I can't sleep. And so instead of thinking like, oh my God, I have insomnia (laughs) or like something, something's going on, something's really bad. Like it could just mean like, no, like what's going on in my life? Like what, how's work and how are my relationships? Like, is there something that's unsettled or did I eat enough today? You know, things like that. I think that's what it all comes back down to, but that that takes time to get there. It's not going to happen in just three months. And I think the more solidified you are in your foundations, maybe the better you cope with stress as becoming a mom brings on new stressors. Um, I think just because someone can get pregnant doesn't mean that, um, you know, maybe their pregnancy won't be the smoothest ride and that's, that's okay. Um, but then maybe we look at postpartum and postpartum isn't the smoothest ride either. And I think having a solid preconception phase can make that a lot easier. So those are some of the benefits to having a primester for sure. And it's not, it's, and that's the thing. It's like, yes, it's about having a healthy baby, but it's also about having a healthy mom. You can't have a healthy baby without a healthy mom. So I I think that easily gets forgotten. We have a lot like that we didn't get to, but we're going to do an IG live and we are going to cover it apart from a lot of other practitioners that you do mention, you know, emotions and how are you responding to things a lot? Like when you're on that fertility journey, your past will come up it just will. <laughs> when you get pregnant, it'll come up even more. How does your past trauma and like painful events get stored in our bodies? Like how does that kind of show up? And then can, do you think this can impact fertility? Oh, yes. I love this question because it was a part of my healing. It wasn't until I looked at the shadows that I had not accepted about myself did I really start to see improvement in my symptoms and really start going that direction? I don't think that everyone needs to start there. It's kind of like meditating. Like we see people in their yoga pants and like blissful sounds and it looks amazing. But like, I feel like when you start meditating or when you start a healing journey, like shit's going to come up. (laughs) My healing journey has been like the biggest like spiritual awakening of my life. Like it just, it taught me so much about myself, relationships with others. There's so many things involved, but it really forced me to look at 
my traumas. And I think when we hear the word trauma, we think like it has to be this magnificent, large thing when it doesn't have to be. You know, you would look at my childhood and say, I had the best childhood. I had the safest childhood. I like, you know, I had a mom and a dad and I had like, we had like the perfect little family. And, but there are some things that, you know, maybe it was the way you were spoken to, or maybe your reality was denied when you said something, your emotions weren't really heard and listened to. And like learning about your attachment styles to things and people in life, there's just so much I've gone into with my healing. I think the two top books that I would recommend would be It Didn't Start With You by Mark Wallen and The Body Keeps Score by, oh my gosh, I don't remember his name. I don't think I can pronounce it, but it's The Body Keeps Score. Have you read that book? I have. I'm writing them down now, so I'll put them in the links. It Didn't Start With You. It Didn't Start With You by Mark Wallen is so, so good. It kind of just touches on like how trauma can really go back like generations, not just looking at the health of your mom and your grandmother, but like even past that. But I think you can start there, like having conversations with your mom. Like I know my mom had a miscarriage before she had me and that has a lot of hurt and wounds that were really hard for her and my dad to go through. And so as you have these conversations with your mothers and grandmothers, remember to hold space for them because a lot still could come up for them. I know it did with my mom. So FYI for anyone, if they're starting to have conversations like that, I think it's important because one, it could help you cultivate an even deeper relationship with your mother or grandmother. And then you just start to kind of connect the dots with healing. Not that if you had a miscarriage or if your mother had a miscarriage, like that means you have to have a miscarriage. I'm not saying that, you know, there could be some connection that you make, but yeah, going back to trauma, I think that it doesn't have to be this large scale thing, but it can be also people who've had PCOS and maybe they've endured like sexual abuse. It's interesting how the symptoms manifested physically in like the womb space. I think as women, we tend to store emotions in our womb space or in our guts. So when I see women with digestive issues, I'm like, okay, what undigested emotions do we need to digest? Like work on digesting what's going on inside, you know, and I'm not like a trauma you know, therapist or anything like that. Like I definitely just guide them towards seeking support in that arena and kind of just at least enlightening them that these things could definitely be playing a role in their current chronic symptoms. Like I said, that was when it really started to unfold for me. Like all the layers started to really come back. We're just, that's all we're doing is like peeling back all the layers that we've kind of just piled onto our bodies um, with birth control. Like the stress bucket, is that the rain barrel effect? Is that, I've never read that book. The rain barrel effect is all about toxins and how they, they fill up that. But the stress bucket, it's like the same idea. You know, it's like it's stress is cumulative. Trauma can store itself in your tissues if you have undigested emotions and you think that the digestive tract um, or, I mean, the abdomen area, there's there's tissue and there's fascia. I could bring in the pelvic floor into this conversation as well. When we have like tight wound up pelvic floors, there's usually a lot of tension that we're holding on throughout our days. We don't know how to relax. I think the foundations are always going to be critical. But like once you've done all those things, you've been working on those things for a while, then I think those extra healing modalities can be helpful and useful. As you begin to move through that trauma, just like everything else, that can be a stressor. So just making sure that you're incorporating all those nourishing principles still. Your sleep will get a little wonky. Maybe you're like a little bit more emotional and sensitive than usual. That's when I would 
seek extra support, like through a therapist or like a coach or something to help you move through all those things. Yeah. A lot of my clients end up working with a therapist. I've, whenever they're already working with one, I'm like, oh, thank God. They have the tools, you know, and like sometimes we don't expect it. And I love how you mentioned the trauma thing. Like it doesn't have to be this big trauma. Like I've heard the holistic psychologist say like big T and little T. It's like you can have little T traumas. Okay. And like we might just not realize that we are still holding on to them. Books on trauma and that kind of stuff are so deep that you're kind of like, I'm going to have to read this so slowly, you know, like you're like not quite ready to read the whole thing all at once. But I feel like how to do the work, it's like very, you can move through it somewhat quickly. I'm glad you said that because the two that I mentioned, they can be really heavy reads and really pacing yourself through those. I love the holistic psychologist. She has a self-healers podcast. Have you listened to She's it? She's like gone through the different chapters of the book too. You could just listen to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, you can do that. But yeah, I think those are great places to start. And remember to not overwhelm yourself because one step at a time so that this doesn't become a stressor. <laughs> Yeah. And I think too, you know, when you're on that fertility journey, especially if it's to conceive versus like trying to optimize your hormones, I think it can be a lot either way. We can get those perfectionist tendencies, but I think when the goal is to conceive, it's really easy to be like, I'm going to do everything perfectly to a T. And then if it doesn't work, it's like, then there's something wrong. It's like there, you could just be missing that focus. And maybe there is like this big emotional focus that you haven't addressed yet. I love that you brought up the pelvic floor because a lot of women think they need to do Kegels when in reality, like their pelvic floor is way too tight. Yes. <laughs> and there's a PT. Oh my God. I got to think of her Instagram handle. I'll put it in the show notes. She's coming on the podcast at the very end of the year. And she specifically is a pelvic floor PT for fertility. And she helps women optimize pelvic floor health so that they can conceive because she does see that hold a lot of people back. Oh my God. I want to follow this person. <laughs> her name is Ryan. I just can't think of her actual handle right now, but I'll put it in the show notes. She came and taught a class for my membership and it was amazing. She taught you how to do a self-exam, which I feel like is really important. And a lot of women don't know how to do that. And yeah, she does like, she has a group program and stuff. So the pelvic floor is huge. And then it's kind of like, again, like as you are doing different tests, seeing different experts, it's kind of like, you still want to go back to where is it coming from? Because sometimes the lab test doesn't tell you like what is the true root cause? And you kind of have to figure that out for yourself. I didn't know that I had a wound up or like overactive pelvic floor. You're right. It's not just like fixing it. It's like, why is it so hard for me to relax and really looking at my lifestyle and what am I doing in my day to day? How am I responding to stress? I love the, uh, I have a pelvic wand that helps me yeah. lengthen my pelvic floor and then just doing like diaphragmatic breathing and all those things. I saw a pelvic floor PT in my area and she really helped me understand how to support my pelvic floor through like exercise and things like that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's all integrated. Like there's so many puzzles that you're not going to learn all at once. It's it's going to take time, but I love the journey. Well, thank you so much for being here and answering all my questions and just sharing your knowledge on fertility. And I think you have a unique perspective on it. And it's nice because I feel like it's welcoming and it feels doable. Whereas I think sometimes it can be intimidating if you're struggling with your fertility to think like, oh, what are all the things I'm going to have to change or that I'm doing wrong? And it's like, nope, there's, it's usually not taking things away. It's usually adding things in to support your body. Yes. 
I love that perspective. So true. Thank you for being on here. We're going to do an IG live in November. So you guys can come with more questions there. We'll dig a little bit more into digestive health and fertility there, but I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Thank you for listening to the Are You Menstrual podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a review and sharing the podcast with someone you think it will help. If you are new here, we can't recommend enough to start with our mineral imbalance quiz. This is going to give you an idea if you are at low, moderate, or high risk for mineral imbalances. And then of course, make sure you follow us on Instagram at Hormone Healing RD and consider signing up for our newsletter. If you like nerding out and you are just loving these podcasts, but maybe you're a little bit more visual and you want to see things too, we go into a ton of detail in our weekly newsletter. So we would love to have you join us there. All right. Thank you. And we will see you in the next episode.